When the whole world turns political, we're better to go than the dean of Georgia political coverage. So we're fixing to be joined by somebody who knows a little bit about politics. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Turnabout's fair play. I've been on Bill Nygut's Political Rewind several times over the last three or four years. Our guest today is Bill Nygut. He hosts Georgia Public Broadcasting's Political Rewind. That is, a, if you're a political junkie in the state of Georgia, it's, it's must-listen-to radio. Bill, welcome. Chuck, it's really a pleasure to be with you. I, it, I do like this turnabout. You have been very gracious to do our show frequently for a number of years now and you always are so great on the show so uh, thank you for inviting me to join you it's sometimes where my wife and i have our best political conversations because she'll say oh i'll listen to you on night today this is what you <laughs> this is what you think about that but no your show is your show in a very partisan world your show you bring on democrats and republicans you bring on journalists uh, a stable of journalists out of the ajc but also journalists like myself from all over the state what what's the purpose of political rewind i mean what if you had to say what your mission statement is bill what's the mission statement for political rewind um it's very s simple and straightforward it's to have respectful smart conversations about what's happening in politics today. I mean, that's the that's the one sentence uh, uh, mission statement. But what that means in a somewhat um, you know longer version is that um, my goal has always been in all of my years covering politics. What has always mattered to me most is can I find a way to explain what are sometimes complicated political issues to viewers, listeners in a way that it really becomes clear to them that they understand what the stakes of a given political debate are. So a uh, smart, respectful conversation with the goal of en enlightening people, helping them understand better what's happening today. And you do it well. And, you know, it's interesting because you're a Chicago native and you, you're a Bears and Bulls fan, I'm sure. And you know, I came out of the sports world into – into news and into covering politics. Politics and sports have an incredible amount of similarities, don't they, yeah. Bill, for a journalist? Yeah, yeah you know, it, it, it's funny you say it that way because I have always said, uh, you're right, I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in a northern suburb of Chicago called Skokie. Um, and uh, I have always said that um, there's the Bears, there's the Cubs, and there's Chicago City. The hall, primarily, <laughs> and I consider all of them contact sports, <laughs> and, and they're things that Chicagoans love to follow. And, you know, and you look right now, what's happening, I mean, we're in a sports year in the state of Georgia that'll be chronicled for a long time to come with both the Braves and Georgia winning the national championship, but we're also in a political year that could be one for the ages, Right. Oh, absolutely. I think we saw the beginning of that, actually, as you well know, in 2020, when, when the state, for the first time since uh, uh, the first election of Bill Clinton, voted for Democratic presidential candidate at the end of 2020, and then, of course, the beginning of last year, 
uh, defied all expectations and elected John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, two Democrats, to the United States Senate. But, but I think it's fair to say that we still don't know whether there was something of it, whether that was an anomaly, all three of those victories, or whether this state really is prepared to continue to elect Democrats to uh, offices across the state. And although clearly the state is more purple now that it is red, we really won't know until the end of this year just how purple or maybe even leaning blue it really is, don't you think, Chuck? I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. And I think, you know, I spend a lot of time trying to explain poli- Georgia politics to people. I'm an Alabamian, and it, my, my, this is a very different brand, similar and different. But how do you explain, somebody from Chicago, one of your friends or relatives, calls up and says, what's going on down there? What's the political climate <laughs> down there over the last two years? How do you explain Georgia politics to that aren't here? Well, I, I really think that the starting point for that, uh, and I give her credit for this on the show all the time, uh, was when, when Stacey Abrams uh, began her bid for governor uh, the first time around, remember that she was uh, facing uh, Stacey Evans in the primary. You know this well. Yeah. And what was fascinating about that contest, which Abrams won by a landslide, is that Evans represented the traditional conservative Democratic, uh, what used to be what we called yellow dog Democratic uh, uh, voters out there. Roy People Barnes, Dubo supporter, that, that, that stable. Darden. Right, that whole crowd. And as recently as 2018, there were people like Roy Barnes, like Buddy Darden, uh, uh, Democratic leaders who continued to believe and backed Stacey Evans because they continued to believe those were the voters they could bring out to the polls to win an election. And you would think they might have learned a lesson <laughs> starting in 2003 when Roy Barnes lost re-election in 2002 and was out of office by 2003, um, but they hadn't. And so, but what Stacey Abrams did, as you know, is she said, no, we have to find a new path. There are more progressive voters out there. We have to mobilize them. We have to mobilize minority voters around progressive causes. And of course, she built an extraordinary uh, operation. Now, you may not want Stacey Abrams to be governor. I leave that up to you to decide. But you can't help but admire the fact that she turned Georgia politics on its ear and I think that was the beginning. When I, so when people say to me, what's going on in Georgia politics, I say that what's happened here is that after two decades of traditional politics continuing to elect Republicans to every major office, suddenly a new voting population has been energized, mobilized, and is excited to try to be competitive. You know, you saw that with the election of Senators Ossoff and Warnock. But, you know, the one thing I would add to what you're saying about what Stacey Abrams did, you know, and you take a place like Columbus or some of the smaller towns south of here, she did it street by street, house by house. That's not only methodical, that is the very definition of grassroots. 
Yeah, I mean, there, again, again, another reason why uh, her vision was so terribly important for uh, for for uh, for the competitiveness of elections. You know, again, you may not be a Democratic voter. Uh, you may prefer to have Republicans in office, but competitive elections are far more important to our democracy than people may give them credit for. It's in competitive elections that ideas can be discussed, can uh, be uh, the things that voters uh, make their decisions on. When one party has a lock on every office, new ideas don't have to come to the front. And they don't. Yeah. You know, you know, it's interesting. You got 30 years of Georgia politics now, 20 with WSB as the lead yeah. political television reporter in the state. I think you and Jim Galloway were with the AJC were both guys that covered Georgia politics in a way that everybody else watched from outside of Atlanta. Hmm. When you look at what's happening in Georgia politics now, are we looking at two games, Atlanta and the rest of Georgia, much like, you know, I mean, I've heard them say it forever, there's two Georgias. Are we looking at that now playing out in real time? Well, well Chuck, I have to tell you the truth. I turn to you to tell me the answer to that question. You're the one. I mean, here I'm sitting in Metro Atlanta. You have been on top of Georgia politics for as long as I have. And you certainly have a strong feeling for uh, out of Metro uh, uh, voters and, and, and could probably tell me a lot about that. Well, it's interesting because Columbus, you know, I mean, you realized how important Columbus was in those two Senate runoffs in in December, in November, December, and early January of last of last year, because you know used to candidates came to Columbus to get checks. They would go to Aflac or they would go to Sonova, so they would go to Tesis, and they, you know, there were there was a lot of campaign cash floating around the Columbus yeah. circles. But Isoff came here kind of going after the voter and Warnock as well, but John was here a lot going after the voter more than the cash. And that was a real interesting flip for me. And I think, you know, you look now, the Democrats that come through here that are in the 2022 mix are going after the kind of Abrams grassroots stuff the Republicans are still coming in and doing the fundraisers, um, you know, where the, the the checkbook guys are, and yeah. you know, yeah. and that's that's fascinating to me. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think? Um, let's let's talk about you brought up Stacey Abrams. Um, have you ever seen a politician quite like Stacey Abrams? Uh. I don't know quite what to make of that. In, she is certainly one of the most uh, charismatic uh, political leaders we've seen in, in a very long time. She is, uh, we know how smart she obviously is. Um, and her ability to capture the attention of the country has been a remarkable thing uh, to watch. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know how I would compare to other people, uh, except to, I, I do think that as an African-American woman running for governor of Georgia, the fact that she came within 
a pretty thin margin of actually winning the state uh, in 2018 is a remarkable thing. Uh, she's had an, and, and what's interesting about that, of course, is for, for those of us, and you were among them, who watched her in the state legislature, she was a, uh, she was a deal maker, obviously. Uh, she worked across the, the aisle with people. She was outspoken, but she was, I, I, I don't think she ever in those days, from my point of view, was the larger than life figure that she became after leaving the legislature. Does that make sense to you? It does. And and I'm going to throw up something that has a Columbus connection to that, that I think explains a little bit. The larger than life democratic figure in the legislature was Calvin Smiley. Still is. I mean, you know, I mean, if you were looking for that, I mean, you know, any Democrat pretty much was in Calvin's shadow after, you know, after the Republicans took charge, Calvin became, he was a huge player when Democrats had control, but Calvin became a, a major player. I mean, you know, you've heard the things that governor Kemp and others have said about Calvin as he's getting ready for this ambassadorship. I mean, do you think that makes sense? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, sure. Of course. He was the democratic leader. When you, um, what do you think about uh, about him going into uh, into the ambassadorship of the Dominican Republic? Any thoughts? Let's face it. Calvin has fought the battles in the trenches at longer than anyone else in the legislature currently. He's also been a corporate leader for so many years. If anybody deserves an opportunity to go represent a country where there's a pretty nice lifestyle it's calvin but let me tell you a funny story that relates to that okay um if you go back go back to mac mattingly's uh election against white fowler uh remember it's 1986 uh mac is running for his second term and uh, Fowler is, uh, you know, been in Congress, in the House, and now he's running for that Senate seat, and Fowler beats him. And uh, I, was, I was talking to Mac one day after the loss, uh, and I said to him, uh, Senator, what, what's your future look like? What do you want next? Thinking he might run for governor. Who knows what Mac's going to do? And he says, Bill... All I want to do is be the ambassador to some country where I walk out onto the beach barefoot every morning, raise the American flag, and go <laughs> sit in the sun. Well, okay. fade to his uh, next move, which was he was named by George H.W. Bush to be the ambassador to the Seychelles Islands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know... I think I think Calvin's gonna have a beach and he will be able to go walk out there, but he's pretty close, close to Haiti, so he's gonna have to he's gonna have some work cut out for oh, him. Oh, no the, question, no in, question. In the Dominican, um, I want to switch to Republican politics real quick um, and talk about what is shaping up as a battle of the ages between. Um, Governor Kemp and Senator Purdue for the yeah. for the Republican nomination. Are you were you surprised when Senator Purdue actually pulled the trigger and got in the race? Yeah, I was. I I said on Political Rewind 
at least three or four times as we discussed Donald Trump urging him to get in, as we discussed rumors that Purdue was actively considering getting, getting in. I said on the show any number of times, I don't think it'll actually happen. I can't imagine he really will launch a civil war in the Republican Party in Georgia. So when he said, yes, he was in the race, I was stunned. You know, and the tone was set immediately when that blistering statement out of the Kemp camp from his comms director, Cody Hall, came out. I mean, you know, it hit every attack button you could hit on Senator Purdue. So if anybody thought it was going to be genteel, I mean, that was wiped away right from the beginning. It's going to be ugly and it's going to be mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that that it is. And um, it's, it's also, as you well know, going to push Republicans even further to the right. This legislative session, we're seeing uh, Kemp and Purdue. We're seeing Kemp in his efforts to outflank uh, Purdue to the right, uh, proposing or supporting legislation that is for, that just continues to be further to the right. Um, constitutional uh, so, carry is is part of that, right? Yeah, cr- constitutional carry, critical race theory being outlawed. It doesn't even exist in schools. Um, uh, you know, banning obscene materials. Now there's this push f- to insist that student athletes. Uh, should only be able to perform in a, in the um, sport on the in the gender to which they were born. Uh, you know, I, it's just it, it's just really troubling to see this effort uh, to move to the right. You know, it's interesting as they start the as you see a lot of the cultural stuff happening in the General Assembly and long time long time friend of mine who was in the General Assembly back in the Carter days, um, Milton Jones said, you know, all we got to do, he said, the only thing we're mandated to do is go up there and pass a budget and get out of there. Everything else, I mean, you know, and sometimes we forget that, that, you know, a lot of this, these laws and these that are coming out, I mean, you know, they're a little – if you look at the basic purpose of that General Assembly is to get a functioning state budget up there, right? Sure. Right. That's it. You're absolutely right. <laughs> but it's well it's well past that now though, right? I mean this is a this is a cult we're looking at a culture war being fought under the gold dome, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and it'll be look, it's gonna be fascinating first to watch how the Purdue Kemp um battle plays out. But uh, as you well know, the question becomes then, and if, I'm, if you're either Kemp or Purdue, you're saying to yourself, how am I going to, what happens after I win this primary? What, what do I, how do I win the general election, given that I'm going to have embraced any number of positions that are going to be distasteful to a great many uh, uh, general election voters? But you also have the problem, Bill, that you've angered people in your own party. Just well, go yeah. back. Just go back and look at Leffler, Doug Collins. Right. I mean, a lot of Collins people would not have voted for Leffler for dog catcher once yeah. that primary was over. Am I right? Or once that, whatever. That. Yeah, I, I do think that's an interesting observation. What? Okay, so play that out for a second. Um, 
let's say I, I think I think Kemp is better positioned to win the primary than Purdue. I I don't know why I think. That. I mean, I I could cite a number of reasons. I just let's just say that my guessing is correct that Kemp beats Purdue. Purdue is nevertheless going to pull in a we imagine a big share of the Trumpiest of the Republican voters in the state. Now, if Kemp beats Trump, uh, beat, beats Purdue, are they going to turn out to vote for Brian Kemp in the general election? They didn't turn out for Kelly Leffler uh, after what Doug Collins uh, uh, fought to to uh, beat her. You, you know, so you make a good point there. I think that's going to be an interesting piece of that. And I think, you know, this isn't a party fight. It's part. It's a party civil war, and I think. That, yeah, and sure. I think, and I think that President, former President Trump's at the center of that in a lot of ways. And yeah. you know, I mean, which you know, you go back and you look. I mean, does Brad Raffensperger win his reelection bid, Secretary of State? I mean, he's being he's being they're going after him with some heavy guns. Right. Right. And right. Let me ask you a quick question about Raffensperger. How do you think? How do you think history is going to remember Secretary Raffensperger? Oh, I think we already know. I mean, I think he's he will be. Well, it, okay. Let me stop. It depends on who's writing the history books. Always does. Uh, it, it, which is the which is the larger question that we're all asking ourselves in general is how will history remember Donald Trump and all of his sycophants? Uh, and it'll be dependent upon who's writing the history books. In Raffensperger's case, I suspect that most writers of history will call him one of the heroes of the second decade of the 21st century, um, third decade of the 21st century. A guy who stood up and said, I will not be cowed by a president of the United States into declaring uh, the lies to be true. I, I think there's no question. Now, if, you know, if Laura Ingram is writing the book, we know it'll turn out a lot differently. <laughs> you know, when you look at, at Secretary Raffensperger, and I know people that were close to him in the General Assembly, the people I know that know him well, know some know him best, um, say they're not at all surprised by what you saw. It's all he is a one of those guys. It's black and white. It's right and wrong, and yeah. that's exactly how it played out. And I mean, you could look like it played out to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> do you think? Do you think he can win re-election? I think he's got a tremendous uphill battle. I, I to get the nomination. How does he even get the nomination? We'll see. Um, you know, it's interesting when you look at Georgia politics and the characters that are coming out of it, you know, Brian Robinson, who's been a guest on your show. So I'm, he's a Republican, um, consultant, um, is talking about that our figures now, the Kemp's, the Abrams, the Raffensburgers, they are national figures and, and, do you think in Purdue? Do you think that's going to continue? Do you think there will be others that will become national figures? Do you think that the fact that they are national figures will turn all the eye will 
just increase the national intensity on yeah, Georgia? Well, Georgia's going to continue to have the national spotlight, and anyone who emerges as a major player in Georgia politics will be getting some national attention as well. But of course, you know, I grew up with just that in Chicago. I mean, you know, I grew up at, at, during the days of Richard J. Daley, the mayor. Uh, you know, everybody in the country knew about Richard J. Daley. Everybody in the country knew about the Democratic machine in Chicago politics. Uh, so for me, there's nothing new about suddenly Georgia being in the national spotlight a lot. Let me ask you this. Who's this? I don't know if it's a fair question. I apologize ahead of time if it isn't. Who's the f journalists are people too, um, for the most part. Um, who? Who is the favorite politician you've covered? If you had to just say one politician you want to sit there and have a beer with or just be, you know, be in a room talking to and be around, who is um, the politician? Uh, it, it, there's, there's nothing wrong with that question. Um, I was, I've been very, very fortunate in my career to have spent an enormous amount of time covering national politics, covering presidential politics, um, going out on the campaign trail extensively. You spent a lot uh, of time in Iowa and New Hampshire, right? Yeah, and covering uh, the White House and the Hill. And I, I spent a lot of time in all the other primary states over 20 years as well, and not in, not in all of them, but in many of them. And one of the things that I was fortunate uh, to have happened to me is that WSB-TV turned me loose early in every election cycle to go on the road before the horde of journalists were there. And what that meant was there were times when I would be on an airplane with a presidential, we'd be, I'd be on a 12th place jet with a presidential candidate and a few of his advisors and so have all these opportunities to get to know that person early on. So all that said, I don't think, I, I think it, it's Bill Clinton, one of the most fascinating politicians you could ever want to know. I had a really strong uh, relationship with him, not as friends, but I covered him a lot. I followed him all over the country. He knew he was, very well who you were, right? He oh, knew you yeah. well. We, he, he made a joke once. You remember the documentary, The War Room? Yes. He kidded me once. I was at the White House for something after the picture came out, and he came up to me and he said, "He said, you know, you're in the more. I just saw the war room. You're in the more than I am. Well, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. But there were shots. Um, I loved talking to Clinton um, because he was emotional. He was smart. He was passionate. Uh, he was cool. We all know that. Um, he also had one of the, and we both know this." To say that Bill Clinton had a nasty temper, a hot button temper, uh, doesn't single him out because we've both known that that's a trait that a lot of politicians we've covered had, but he did. So I love covering Clinton uh, and got to know him pretty well. Uh, but the other presidential candidate who I grew to like enormously as a person was George W. Bush. I had spent a lot of time on the road with George H.W when he was running uh, in uh, both 88 and 92. And in 88 and 92, I got to know George W. and Jeb pretty well. We would be on the same plane a lot, traveling to uh, uh, dad's events. And uh, I, George W. is 
forget about what we don't like about how we ran the White House. For, we know what a, dis a disaster Iraq was, Afghanistan was. As a human being, he was one of the um, most enjoyable people that I got to spend time with. So I liked him enormously as a person. Uh, and then the other that I pick is Bob Dole, who was the most spontaneously funny person I've ever known in my entire life. I Bob Dole had a humor, a sense of humor that was so quick and so biting that it it's it was staggering. I saw a little bit of that. I guess it was four or five years ago. He was doing the farewell tour, and um, he came to Fort Benning, private mm -hmm. tour. And they took him into the officer candidate school, which is where he says his leadership mm -hmm. career right. began was in OCS yeah. at Fort Benning. And, uh, and I can't remember exactly how he said it. it was funny because you now had women in the ranks there and he came in, he had this OCS class around him and somebody said, so Senator, what's different from the way it was 50 something years, 60 years ago. He looked up and said, well, there were no girls here. I can tell you that. And and then he kind of went into the thing. But he he was, you could tell that Fort Benning mental that the military meant a lot to him. And I think that's one of the things we see with our leaders. A lot of them. I mean, Clinton was probably the first one in a long time that wasn't shaped by by military service. Um, yeah. yeah. By the way, it was the Mattingleys who arranged that Fort Benning tour. It was and. And he was here. Uh, Senator Mattingly was here, yep. and his wife. Did you did you come did you come down for some of that? I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I don't know why, but I didn't. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a really tightly controlled. It wasn't about media. It wasn't about anything but Senator Dole getting to kind of walk down a very important old road of his life. Um, If you look right now at kind of what's going on nationally, and Georgia is an absolute mirror of it, you know, the Doles, the Mattingleys, the Clintons, the guy, people that could look on, I mean, could negotiate. I mean, right. what happened to negotiation? What happened to political compromise? Where'd it go and will we, will we ever see it again? Newt Gingrich happened. Yep. Newt Gingrich yep. happened. I mean, let's face it. That, that's the start. That's ground zero for all of the toxicity in American politics. I mean, let's there are Democrats who have contributed heavily to it. I'm not suggesting it's only one party, but for the most part, it has been. Uh, the Newt Gingriches of the world, the Mitch McConnells of the world who have contributed to that. And it was Gingrich who, uh, when if, if reading a biography of Gingrich's career and how from his first days as a backbencher, he plotted a way to become a nationally recognized figure, to become a leader of the party is, a, is an astonishing thing. I mean, you've got to give the guy credit for having accomplished everything he wanted to, but but and there's no so. But you know, and it's interesting. Like many national and even international stories, there's a Columbus connection. Newt Gingrich was a graduate of Baker High School right here in Columbus, Georgia. I never knew that. Yep, I never. He knew that. he he went to high school here. 
here uh, at Baker. And um, there, it, Baker at the time was the Fort Benning High School. It okay. was where all the military, the you know, you had Columbus High, you had Jordan, which was a Votech school, uh, you had Spencer, which was African American school, and then you had Baker, which essentially served Fort Benning. Yeah. So he came out. He came out of Baker, and you know there, there are pictures of him in his high school year football uniform and stuff. And people here, some people here still knew him and remembered him well. Phil Graham you know, also came from here too. Yes, that no, that I did know. That I did know. I never got. I I dealt with Phil Graham just a little bit, but never got to know him the way I did some of these other guys. Never like a George H.W. You know that I actually had George H.W. In, in the 92 presidential campaign, I convinced the Clinton campaign. The Clinton campaign had a guy who they assigned to regional media. Um, and I can't believe I'm blocking his name right now. But I, he and I, would, I'd see him, we'd see each other on the road. And I started planting a seed for him to build, bring Clinton to the studios of WSB to do a town meeting with me. And we ended up pulling it off. Uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton came to Channel 2 Studios on the afternoon of Mother's Day in 1992. And that night, we hung around. Oh, they, they hung around with us for hours. And that night, we did a live town meeting with Clinton and um, that I hosted. And after that, I started working on the Bush, H.W. Bush campaign saying, you've got to do this. Are you kidding me? And they were all like, this guy's the president of the United States. Do you really think he's going to come to Atlanta to do a local TV town meeting? And I said, we've got to get him. And we did. You know, it's, in October, it, he came. it's interesting. I've kind of got that. I'm trying to take this podcast and get any state candidate that's coming through. I'm going to give them a podcast spot if they want it. I mean, I'd like to talk to state people, but you know, you don't know till you ask. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, you know, you just, uh, I mean, sometimes you ask some of the stupidest questions you could ever ask and they, and the answer is yes. And you're just sitting there scratching your head going, okay, how are we going to do this? It's yeah. No, we had the president of the United States do a, a town meeting at channel two news in October before the November election, which of course he lost to Clinton. Uh, and then I did the last interview with George H.W. Bush on the night before that election. Oh, wow. That came about in a really interesting way. I don't know if you want. Oh, I do. Yeah, go, go. This is really, to me, one of the, I still don't know the reason for this. So I, I've tried to figure it out in many years since. On the night before the 92 election, Bush up for second term. Clinton, the poll showing Clinton ahead by five, six points nationally. Um, on the night before that election, I finished my work at about six o'clock and drove home. I only lived 10 minutes away from Channel 2 at that point. And I got home and almost as soon as I got home, I got a call from the assignment desk. Um, and uh, the assignment editor said, Bill, President Bush is looking for you. <laughs> I said, okay, what does that mean? He said, here's the phone number you need to call. And I called the number, it's called White House Signal. 
the communications have, have gotten increasingly more sophisticated since 92. Signal is essentially a switchboard that can get you in touch with any important person in the White House at a moment's notice. I called Signal, I gave him my code that I'd been given. And the next thing you know, I'm talking to one of the president's people who says, Bill, President Bush would like to do an interview with you tonight. And I said, well, it's already about seven o'clock. <laughs> And where where are you right now? And he said, we're on Air Force One heading to Houston. <laughs> and I said, I'd be more than happy to try to work this out. Let me see what I can do. We ended up, I won't bore you with the details, but we pulled the, there were the, the president was going to do a big rally in Houston next to the Astrodome at, at an arena there. Uh, we pulled a crew from ABC out of the arena they went into a little holding room with George H.W. and they had him on camera. I went into a room in our place with a telephone because we didn't have an up and down link with the satellites at that moment. And I had a camera on me and I did this final interview with George H.W. Bush, each of us holding phones in our ears and talking as the whole election was coming to its conclusion, the campaign was coming to its conclusion. And the last thing, being the gentleman that he is and was, George H.W. Bush, President Bush said, Bill, this is the last interview I will ever give as a candidate for office. And then he said something that it didn't matter that it was true. It was the kind of gentleman he was. He said, and I'm so glad it was with you. And it was one of the most touching moments of my entire career in politics. Um, I will never understand to this day why they decided they needed to do that interview. You know, but I don't think you, I don't think you need to understand. I think it comes down to credibility and, you know, I mean, you had worked your way into a position to get that phone call. And, you know, that's to me, a lot of what political reporting is, is putting yourself in a position to be there when something happens. Would you well, agree with exactly, that? You're right. That's exactly what it is. That's why, I was so that's what I was saying earlier. I was so lucky that WSB just said, turn me loose and go where you need to go, be where you want to be. And and that's it. And you've had those experiences, John. Not not with a sitting president of the United States, but that yeah. that's but you know, but you do get some of these interviews and you know, and, and it's interesting because I know sometimes the people who are competitors of yours at other stations or whatever, they'll sit there going, now, how did he pull that off? Had that, had that happen? I mean, because, you know, that's a head, head scratcher across the country when you show up, you know, doing that interview on the night before the election. Do yeah. you miss the TV side of it? Do you miss? No. no. Why do you say that? No. Um, I don't like the tyranny that video uh, uh, insists upon. Uh, I mean, you're an interesting example of having someone gone from you know, going having gone from print to TV, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. But I got I just got tired of the tyranny of video. I you you know as well as I do that when you were writing for the newspapers, your lead was almost invariably whatever the most important element of the story was. Not in TV. In TV news, you write your story to the best picture that you have. Is that what you mean when you say tyranny of video? Is it's your... that. It's also silly things like cutaways. You know, if you want to edit 
uh, uh, what the person you're interviewing has to say. You've got to have a cutaway of you looking at that person. And I, I just, at a certain point, it, and I think radio is relaxing in a whole different way. I like the relaxing element of radio. People, I think, feel freer to just talk. Now, you may not be having that experience. I do to some degree. I know exactly what you're saying, but, you know, but video, you know, I mean, you've been gone now from TV for what, 10 years, roughly? No, 18 years. 18 years. Wow. I didn't realize that long. So 18 years away from TV. I mean, this bill right here has changed everything. Yeah. I mean, it's the ability, the Zoom. I mean, you know, the, you know, I didn't cover the, um, the state of the state on Thursday. I wasn't up there, but I did cover it. Let me rephrase that. I was able to get Senator Robinson and Representative Hughley to do Zoom yeah. interviews and yeah. pulled, you know, we, you know, pulled Governor Kemp sound and pulled Speaker Ralston sound and, you know, did it here from the studio and, didn't have to go up to the airport. Yeah, on I, I get that. And that makes it, you're right. Um, let, me, let me also be really candid with you, Chuck. Okay, please do. Here's the other thing I grew to dislike. When I first started traveling, which was in 1984, when it's when I started on the road, you know, during election year, months at a time, um, satellite uh, trucks were very, very hard to come by. And satellite time was incredibly expensive. And so I'd go into a city with a candidate and I would pull together a story at two, three in the afternoon. At five minutes to six, they'd open an uplink at the satellite truck I was working from. We'd feed the video back. I'd do a live shot with that video inserted. And then I would do a tag for the 11 o'clock show. And then you know what I'd do? I'd go to whatever really nice restaurant someone had recommended to me <laughs> and hook up with some of the other people who were on the road and have a great time. And I wouldn't have to do any more work until the, you know, you know, the next morning I'd start all over again. And then satellite trucks became prolific and time got really cheap. And so in the last, say, 10 years of my career, maybe a little less, it was more about, Bill, we need you on the 6 a.m. show we need you at noon, five, six, and eleven, and that's when I said, "No, this isn't. This is too much." <laughs> well, and, and 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 I get that. And now it's Twitter. It's I mean, you know, a political reporter never has a moment off right now. No, that's right. That's right. Well, we're near the end of this thing. Um, I really, really appreciate your perspective and your time. You've got a really, you got a really unique perspective on Georgia politics. Um, and we're at a point where I call it turn the tables. You had asked me a question and you ask me questions all the time. So when I'm on political rewind, so anything you want to ask me? Well, I, I, I really want to say something to you about you. I, one of the things that one of the things that I've tried to do with Political Rewind, especially in the last year plus, people who listen to the show regularly may have noticed I don't use as many partisans as I used to. I used to have a Republican and a Democrat on virtually every show. But increasingly, I don't find those shows to be uh, quite as, um, uh, I, I don't know what the word is. They're, the shows I prefer are when I have a panel of journalists like you, you know Columbus inside and out. You've been there. Some days. 
an extraordinarily long and fruitful career. When I can have you, someone from Savannah, somebody from, of course, the AJC, um, as I expand our network of journalists, somebody from up in Marietta Daily Journal, those are the shows that I love, or the shows when we do nothing but political scientists from around the state. So what I would say is to you, is you are one of the people who makes my show better and you make me look better, which I'm really grateful for. Not sure how true that is, but I'll take that compliment and I'll, I'll take that as a high, high compliment because, it, it is true, because you know, it, it, it's funny because I'll get texts anytime I'm on your show, I'll get texts starting while I'm on every now and then somebody will say, Whoa, you really think that? Or, I mean, you know, but I know people that contribute to Georgia public broadcasting because of your show. I mean, that will write checks and make donations during the pledge runs and regular times because they listen to political rewind and it's an important part of their discourse. Um, and I think that's a credit to you. It really is because you've created a brand and a show that, does cut through a lot. I mean, you know, we're always going to have political turmoil. I'm just, you know, I think till they bury both of us, we're going to see political turmoil. That's what it is right now. But you do as good a job as any of anybody is cutting through it. And that's, you know, you cut through the the noise and you have the history to do it. So keep doing what you're doing. I mean, you're you're an inspiration to those of us out in the hinterlands. <laughs> and the other in the other Georgias, I like to say. It's been fun to talk to you, Chuck. And I and I of course want to make sure you know there's an standing invitation for you anytime you want to be on political rewind. Well, I really appreciate that. We're at the end. Our guest has been Bill Nigat. Bill is <clears throat> the host of Political Rebound. You also have like a fancy title too. Senior Executive Producer Georgia Public Broadcasting. Means I'm old. <laughs> Anytime seniors in front of any yeah. title, it means yeah. there's gray I'm hair. Yeah. <laughs> and but Bill Bill's show can be heard from nine at nine AM and two PM on Georgia Public Broadcasting stations throughout the state and it's an hour of Hour, if you're into politics and this is going to be a political year, it's going to be a political year unlike any other. Um, he will bring you the stuff you need to know. We're at the point now where I need to do what I got to do to get out of here. And that first, the Chuck Williams show can be heard on WRBL.com Tuesday night starting at 7 p.m. You can catch us on all the podcast shows, Apple, Spotify, our, did I get them all, Dylan? Got them all. Perfect. And then social media. We're all social media animals. Uh, I am on Twitter at Chuck Williams. I use it for more sports stuff, Bill, than anything else now. Uh, Chuck Williams WRBL is my Facebook, and Chuck Williams 0999 is my Instagram. You've been listening to another episode of the Chuck Williams Show. And, you know, the names that. The, my, my name's on the show, the Chuck Williams Show, and that was very creative at the time. But it's not about me. It's about the people we talk to, the Bill Nuggets of the world. Come back next week, and we'll have another interesting guest. Thanks for listening. <laughs>